0: Hello, and welcome to PW's FaithCast, a podcast from Publishers Weekly. I'm Emma Wenner, Religion News Editor at Publishers Weekly, and today I'm speaking with Sarah Bowen, whose book, Spiritual Rebel, is being published by Monkfish, the sponsor of today's podcast. Hi, Sarah, and thanks for speaking with us today. Thanks for having me, Emma. So the book challenges labels that we see a lot these days, like nuns and nothing in particular and unaffiliated religiously. Can you talk a little bit about why these definitions fall short for so many people?
1: Absolutely. I think historically what happened is in a lot of the surveys that were done, we were asked to fill in, check a box or or spot a, uh, a radio button or something for the category that we were in. And many of us found that we didn't fit in some of those categories and ended up with only one option, which was none. And that didn't really speak to what our spirituality was, just that we didn't fit in one of the other categories. And what I found is that those of us who are in that none category are actually increasingly spiritual. We just are finding spirituality in different ways. They may not be tied to a particular building or a specific day. We may be mixing and matching practices from different religions, different spiritual traditions. And so we're actually much more than none. We're almost alls in a way. Yeah, I like that, um, and it brings me to my next question. Um,
0: I recently attended a wedding where Game of Thrones was quoted, and you write, "I do not believe pulp culture myths are any less worthy of study than age-old spiritual ones," and it really struck me as true. Given the wedding I, I just attended, um, why or, why not? Do you think that it's becoming more common to kind of look at pulp culture and? What do you think it means for traditional religion that we look at pop culture so differently?
1: That's a great question. I'd like to invoke uh, Mr. Rogers to start off with, because I was raised on Mr. Rogers. and He had something he said. He said, what we see and hear on the screen is part of who we become. And I think for those of us who were raised in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, screens are so much parts of our lives, books, screens, the narratives become part of our spiritual DNA. So for me, it was Star Wars, right? I was raised with this wonderful role model of Carrie Fisher playing Princess Leia um, and this idea of the Force, which really made a lot of sense to me, right? And some of the things that I was learning in church didn't make as much sense to me. I wasn't at a point in my mind where I could grasp those complex ideas, right? So we come through to religion through stories and we come to meaning and purpose through stories. And so it's not surprising to me that that can be – it can be Star Wars, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, um, that we can still find meaning in that. And I think that um, a lot of that archetypal journey, that uh, hero's journey to purpose and to meaning, we can find in all of these places. And I think for your second part of the question, what does that mean for traditional religions? Um, I see a lot of them actually – kind of welcoming these ideas of how do we remain relevant and not setting up this polarity between ancient text and pop culture. Yeah. I think it's an opening. It's an opening to, to see how do we take stories that are meaningful to people and who teach the values and the virtues that our religions are trying to teach And how do we use those together, right?
0: That's great. Um, And then you mentioned Princess Leia and Carrie Fisher's character and Carrie Fisher herself already. But who are some of your favorite spiritual
1: rebels and why? That's another good question. Um, And the first one actually has four legs. Uh, which is Aslan from The Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe. Oh. And that was another of my formative myths. Uh, and so from a very young age, I was interested in what we can do in the world to make it bigger than just people who are working, uh, <laughs> walking on two legs. Yeah. So a lot of my uh, Favorite rebels or inspirations now are the people who are in the trenches working on animal welfare issues, on how our spiritual values relate to uh, climate change, to animal welfare. There's a number of people doing things in that space right now. Uh, yeah, that I that I feel is is work that's really important to all of us, regardless of what tradition we're in. That's great. Um, and then, when did you start to reevaluate some of your own beliefs, and
0: what surprised you the most about those beliefs
1: for me my my journey includes recovery. Um, I have the genetics for a really awesome case of alcoholism, and so, as that uh, started to affect my life uh, in not so great ways, I found twelve step recovery. And that required me to to look at some of these, what I used to call the G word and the J word, and how do I feel about these things. And so I started that process of kind of digging into what my beliefs were. And the biggest surprise to me was there were so many that I had misunderstood and there were so many that i hadn't reevaluated since i was 6 or 7 years old. Oh wow. So coming back with adult eyes and the amazing stacks of books we have now and resources and podcasts like this one and the ways that we can really dig into what do i believe and if i was taught any beliefs that were exclusionary those are ones i really need to look at. I see.
0: And then you mentioned that you you talk about your own alcoholism and your own spiritual journey. Why did you decide to include those painful parts and those
1: personal parts of it? I think because they are becoming more and more universal. One in eight people right now in the U.S. uh, meets the uh, categorization of alcohol use disorder. One in eight. And each person who's struggling with addiction also, they say, affects up to four people or more, I would say. So addiction, alcoholism, food addictions, money addictions, all of these things, social media addictions, anything. These these are part of our culture right now, right? Yeah. This is part of our life. And so to keep that story hidden or to keep that story separate from our search for meaning and purpose really does a disservice to how we get there and the struggles we have.
0: I see. Um, and then what's really cool about the book is there's a three-week, very detailed, very unconventional guide for clarifying beliefs and shedding outdated and harmful ideas about spirituality. Could you give us an example of one of the activities you, you kind of introduce
1: I could. The activities Monday through Friday are based on cultivating interconnection. And then on Saturdays and Sundays, they're about seva or service and sangha um, or community, right? So there's kind of this this building of week one, week two, week three on top of each other so that we're doing both what's um, important for our own inner work, but also making sure that we're out within community. But one of my favorite practices is one from Belden Sea Lane. Who uh, taught at Ghost Ranch and has written a number of, of wonderful books on desert spirituality, and he has a practice called Lectio Terraris. And many of us have heard of Lectio Divina, divine reading, or divine seeing, or working with these type of things. And Belden suggests that we take sacred text or books or uh, different types of words into nature. And to read them there and to see how it changes based on the environment we're in. Oh, wow. And I find that that's really an amazing practice to just hike up a mountain or, or if I'm feeling a little less ambitious one day, just walk on a straight path, um, write with a text and to see what happens when I read it here yeah, um, with a connection to the trees and to animals and to what's going on around me instead of on my sofa.
0: Yeah. Um, and then it, you, you mentioned how words can change. And, and I know that you are very careful about your use of the word God. And other words like it. Could you talk a little bit about how you address that word God and just how many words there are that kind of reflect that same idea? Sure. That's a
1: big question. (laughs) The G word, right? The G G word. word. Right. It's a big question. Uh, And it's an important question. And so what I what I had found is that I had some baggage around the G word. Um, I had, not through any fault of my parents or my preacher father or my church, I had just brought in these ideas of this kind of punishing God figure uh, that was <laughs> supported by Renaissance art, right? That got a little mingled with Darth Vader and Voldemort, you know, and all of these things kind of growing up, right? And I had this this vision of this what this G word was. And I find a lot of people do. We haven't um, explored that you know, and and so what I started to do was to look at all right. Well, in different religions and traditions, there's other options. There's other words. What are those? And I created a list. And I've got in the book in Spiritual Rebel uh, a list in the back of 200 what I call G word alternatives. And so that's anything from divine light to goddess to the universe to the great mystery, uh, mother, father, God, consciousness, the force. Of course, made the list. Um, but this idea of we use a lot of different words to describe that which is meaningful to us, that which is kind of outside the human ego. And rather than fight about whether these are similar or different, what we can look at is what are what do we gain in connecting to something bigger than just Sarah's little ego, right? Yeah. And so I encourage people to take a look at those words. I find I use almost all of them. Um, It depends on context. It depends on what I'm reading and where you are, where you are. Exactly right. If we're high on that mountain, reading, reading a a book or, or what, um, if we're sacred space crashing, I love to go to different spiritual communities and to say, teach me about what you're doing. Tell me about how you connect to God, to, to whatever, to whatever that word is for you. And, you know, it's kind of funny too, because even in the, um, the Hebrew scriptures, there's a number of words that are used for God. Um, you know, so even from the beginning of, of my heritage of, of Judeo-Christian upbringing, there were tons of different words used. So, you know, as spiritual rebels, we can have the flexibility to choose our wording.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that's a definite major theme of your book. It's it's just whatever works, there, there's no definitives, there's no limits. And, and it, I wanted to ask, to be sure, I feel like that's the... The whole idea, but I wanted to know what's the most
1: important thing that you want readers to take away from your book? I think the most important thing is that I realize that my spirituality is bigger than me, and so I'm betting that as readers, that your spirituality is also bigger than you. And I think what happens is we can get into this place where our spirituality is about peacefulness and happiness and wholeness and bliss and these things that are benefits to us individually. But there's another step that we need to take. And that's that space back into what I call, you know, Seva and Sangha, those words I'm picking up from from two other traditions. There are 700 million people in the world who don't have access to clean water, right? There are 48 million people in the U.S. who are struggling with hunger. These are the things that, when we take our spirituality th- those are just two things right of the long, long, long list of things that, when we gather in community from this place of really great spiritual values and virtues and wholeness right that we can help others and I think that's the takeaway is we get whole and then we help others become whole wow, it's a big order
0: <laughs> yeah, i think it's um it's a, it's kind of the first of its kind, it's sort of like letting these people that can't find their label or their pigeonhole, letting them maybe convene or find a place where they can identify with
1: others and and like organize and, Make a difference, even. Exactly. And there's so there's so many interesting new models for organizing. And I love traditional religions, so don't get me wrong on that. I love to get into a church, a synagogue, a meditation center, all of this. That's part of my spirituality, is, is to be in all of these places. But we're also self-organizing with technology, and we're grouping up in small groups. Um, one of my favorite that I came upon and I wrote about in the book is uh, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, which is some great work from some folks that uh, came out of Harvard Divinity that are you know taking people through the Harry Potter texts right as groups and they're and they're creating satellite groups and it's just amazing the way that when we band together we can do things and that can be tied to a building, and that's great, and that's very helpful sometimes and it can also be just self organizing around a particular need we see in a community that can be filled, yeah. Um, Well, Sarah, thank you so
0: much for joining us. And also thank you to the audience for listening. And please join us again for the next FaithCast.